It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, the podcast. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our family of origin. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it, because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word, hashtag AdopteeLand. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash AdopteeLand. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here. My next guest was on the podcast Black to the Beginning, hosted by Sandria and Dr. Sam, Season 2, Episode 14, and I was so impressed by her perspective that I immediately asked her to have a conversation for this podcast. Her decision of choosing to celebrate life profoundly resonates with me. Her name is Renicia Jennifer. In this episode, as a late discovery adoptee, she will share an analogy I hadn't heard before of the adoptee being the I of the storm. When I first heard Renicia compare adoption to the hurricanes that strike Louisiana from where she has roots, I strongly felt the bigness of that being a perfect metaphor in adoption land. She is interested in using her creativity and lived experience to help others heal from their traumas. As an adoptee, she has a willingness to step outside of herself for the purpose of empathizing with the pain of every member of the constellation. Allow me to introduce you to a person that embraces forgiveness and compassion. She has a desire to reaffirm her identity through each new discovery. It was a joy to have this time with Renicia about the subject of adoption. Renicia, it's such a pleasure to have time to talk to you today. I'm so delighted that you said yes to a conversation with me. How's it going? Great. You came to my attention through another podcast, uh, Black to the Beginning with Dr. Sam and Sandria. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And um, awesome ladies. Yes. And, and I have listened to several of their episodes. And when I listened to your story, I said, I just really believe the listeners of this podcast would truly benefit. There was so many good things that you said in terms of being empowered by your journey. So how about we start wherever you want and share however much you you wish to. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so thanks again for having me. Thanks for the opportunity to share my story. I definitely do not take it lightly uh, for folks to take their time to to prepare and to and to also to listen and to receive. And so hopefully, you know, someone is uh, is inspired today. I am a late discovery adoptee. I was raised in the South by uh, same race parents. I actually found out about my adoption story at the age of 22. So the first 22 years of life, I did not know that I was adopted. Uh, yet being from a small town, from a, a small community, everyone else knew except me. And so definitely that was a pivotal moment in my life. Several years later, I'm at a point of being healed just from that, uh, to share that story publicly uh, in a way to, to help others and to help the community. I really feel the, this added layer with late discovery adoptees. I guess I'm still, I'm still sitting with, with that. When I talk to LDAs and hear their stories, for me, I've always known. And so I just can't imagine like what you described, everyone knowing but you and learning of it as an adult, as a young woman. And somehow, when I hear you speak, you have managed to process it uh, in such a way that it has empowered your life, how have you processed it to the degree where you are, like you're, you're, you're not in a bad place? Yeah, it was definitely not overnight. Uh, I, I will say that just the whole issue of adoption surrounds that key point of identity. You know, identity plays a major role in just our development as humans. And so when there is a when there is a, a, a separation at the very beginning of life, it impacts and it ripples through through someone's life. And so I definitely took some time from the, the, the time that I did find out to reconcile within myself what, what a broken identity meant, uh, what a false identity meant, and then the loss of, it, of identity altogether. And so that rebuilding process, you can put it on the T-shirt, Jesus in therapy for me. But uh, mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that rebuilding process took, took some time. It actually, it actually feels a lot like stages of grief. Mm. And so you go through the emotions, the whole cycle of emotions, the, the anger, the, 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 just the feeling of, of floating. I've heard this from late discovery adoptees as well. You just feel like you're just floating in space because this bomb has been thrown into your life where things are quote unquote normal to some extent, yet um, you know everything gives way. Everything that you know to be true is not. And so uh, it's like your, your walls have fallen, has, have fallen down and you need to now rebuild. Um, and so I think initially when I found out, I was slowly able to speak with those that had already spoken into my life, you know, mentors, leaders, spiritual leaders, even 
to just kind of work through some of those emotions in a, in a safe space. And then later on, I was able to kind of expand those spaces because then at some point, I guess I'll put it this way, at some point, it becomes a lot, a lot bigger than you. Mm. And I think what can happen is that people, they struggle because they can't come outside of themselves. Mm. They can't come outside of that circle of depression and bitterness and questioning and uncertainty. And so at some point I broke through. At some point I broke through. There's two things I think that helped in the, in the journey. And the first thing is forgiveness. And the second thing uh, is gratitude. Mm. I know immediately, especially those two things may even strike a nerve with people. I've been in, you know, adoptee groups and, and peer groups and that sort of thing. And so I know those two words even may be triggering because it seems as if you're giving something away that someone does not deserve. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, too, have been in those circles where the word gratitude makes members of the community cringe. So for me, it doesn't necessarily do that because I remember, I, I don't know who it was, it may have been Oprah, talking about a gratitude journal. And I always thought of, yeah, that's a pretty cool tool to just take time out. And I like the word thankful. So I, I kind of have like a thankful journal, things I write down that I'm thankful for or we could say have gratitude about. So I know that that is a powerful way to be in life, just in general. Um, and, and so when you say gratitude, I hear it very differently than, say, in some of those adoptee circles. And I, too, think you, we have to get outside of ourselves many times because it, um, it is bigger than us. And I know you have mentioned adoptees are the eye of the storm. When I heard you say that, I just paused, like, where did you come up with that? Because I think it's beautifully stated. Yeah, that analogy uh, of, the, uh, of the eye of the storm, I think growing up in one of the Gulf Coast states, it's uh, something that's very common. We go through a hurricane season and everyone's watching their favorite news channel and they're watching the predictions and they're looking at all the, the charts and graphs and, and all that and all that. And um, I was in one of those moments. And uh, even though I don't live in the South currently, uh, I'm always in tune with what's going on. And as I visually saw this massive storm coming up the coast, I immediately thought about, hey, this is kind of like this is kind of like adoption. Mm. You know, this eye. You know, the eye of the storm is, it's the focal point of, of a hurricane. It's the point where the rest of the storm rotates around that circle, that center. And usually in the eye of the storm, the skies are clear. Hmm. It's actually peaceful uh, in a sense. You can be in the eye of a, of a storm and think nothing's going on. Hmm. It's also... I'm getting yeah. chills right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the quietest also. The mm, quietest. Right. Most silent part of the storm. Mm. Yet there are these 
waves that are destructive and right. <laughs> just tremendous and gigantic that are circling around. I was speaking to someone about what we know in the adoptee world as the adoption triad. And you usually see that symbol of a triangle and where you have the adoptee and you have the birth parent and then you have the adoptive parents. But actually what recently folks are, are talking about is that it's not really a triangle. There's so many other pe people in situations and circumstances that surround adoption from the professional community, the medical community, all of the extended family on maternal and paternal sides of the birth family, the stories, the trauma, the emotions. There's also the stories and the trauma and emotions of the adoptive family and why they even came into the picture. There's so much more than just these three points. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's so involved. And so when I saw that visual picture of a hurricane coming up the coast, that's exactly what I envisioned uh, adoption to be like. Mm -hmm. um, every time, you know, every person that's involved, what do they always say? We're doing this for the best interest of the child. But very often, the child, the eye of the storm, is rarely hurt. Yes, is the quietest, as, as you say, that, that the eye of the storm is, is the quietest. And, and I find it interesting now, more than ever, adoptees are speaking up, speaking out and being heard. So I think there's a transformation that's going on, a pivoting that's happening because we do need to be heard from, particularly adoptees, you know, who have lived decades of being an adopted person. Like we've got mm -hmm. a lot to say about our experience. And so reunion is um, like another part of this, which is also pretty big. Have you had an opportunity to search and be in reunion? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that also loops back to those two words of forgiveness and gratitude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I often think, you know, I don't know the whole story. I don't know what I was actually saved from. But in this season, I have I have decided to celebrate life mm -hmm. um, because life is about, you know, it's the joy and pain, it's the sunshine and rain. It's all of it. It's the it's the losses and it's also the victories. And so, you know, that's those are the things that make life worth living. And so um, my reunion process is just as complicated as as my life has been right <laughs> i am uh, i am currently on a four year uh, reunion roller coaster that's what i call it mm -hmm. it has been about discovery uh it's been about even disappointment but it's also been about an opportunity for me to reaffirm my identity and uh, reaffirm the work that's been done in my life and the victories that I celebrate. And so 
at the time of, uh, of our talk today, um, I have not met or had conversations with uh, my biological parent. Okay. Um, yet uh, there is definitely awareness in the family, thanks to the technology of DNA testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is that has messed up a lot of family secrets recently. And so I know that there there are conversations. I've I've connected with some some relatives, some cousins on both sides here and there. Mm-hmm. But 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 we're still in we're still in the press. Right. We're still in the journey. Yeah, of course. You know, your handle on Instagram, the chosen rising. Tell me how you came up with that and what that means. <laughs> yeah, sure. One thing that's said a lot when you hear adoptive parents, uh, when they speak to their, their, their children about their adoption, is that you're chosen in love. One of the other things that sometimes adoptees have a difficult time hearing for a variety of reasons. But I decided to take that word and spin it in a positive direction because I do feel that I was chosen, not necessarily, not primarily by my adoptive parents, but I believe that I was chosen by the Almighty God mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Yes. And from the very beginning of my conception, that he knew about me, he knew my story, Mm. he knew what I was going to go through, and he chose uh, for me where I would end up and the journey that I would take. And so I do count myself as chosen from that aspect, and my adoptive parents uh, decided to be obedient to the journey that I was going to take mm-hmm. um, to play a role in that. Yeah, to play a part, yes. To play a part. Yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. that. And this, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it, the second part of it is rising because I believe that, just as you just mentioned, our voices are rising. Mm-hmm. Our voices are rising up to the top where it should have been all along thing about choosing life because I I often say and I don't know where I I saw it somewhere some years ago that it it was like a quote she chose life she loved life and life loved her back and it represents to me really believing that the most important thing for me to ever focus on is that I'm here that I made it because when you think about like the this ridiculous number of odds of you even making it to planet earth you know like yeah and and when I think about having made it being here and I believe we're all here for purpose and our lives are to be purposeful that's where the whole thing of happiness comes in at happiness is about living a purposeful and meaningful life and yeah and in 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 this thing called adoption can trip us up. You know, there are all these distractions in life. You know, adoption is not just (laughs) the only distraction, as we all know. There are a lot of things that people deal with and go through and are traumatized by. 
but that's what they are. They're distractions. And we, we, we just got to get back to the business, get the, get the tools and get back to the business of the purposeful, meaningful life. So yeah, I appreciate you like talking about your perspective And I heard it loud and clear on Black to the Beginning. And that's when I said, I just really hope she'll say yes. (laughs) Renicia will say yes to a conversation because um, while all the listeners may not understand what we're talking about, or it may may just may not agree, I think it's an important message. That's my point. Most definitely. I think the universal message of knowing that you have destiny and purpose in this life is the key that is the focal point for me, regardless of your belief systems and regardless of maybe the bits and details that, that we may not see eye to eye on that key focal thing is the most important Mm -hmm. uh, because it's the thing that's going to get you through. Yeah. It's going to, it's the thing that's going to bring you to the other side of being able to work through these issues. And just like you said, it's not just adoption. There's all sorts of opportunities for trauma in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have many of them. But yeah. having a destiny and a purpose is the is the thing that's pulled me through that. And, and isn't it also about once, I think about when I get through or get better or whatever, that I may be able to help someone else. Like that, exactly. yeah, like that's the point of it. I, I subscribe to what you're doing and, and I, I hope, because we're all in different places and, you know, in our ideas and beliefs and all of that, but I, I hope that the message that I hear from you and I lean into is the whole point of that is that it's empowering you, it's giving you empowerment in your life. And um, there's one thing I I know you talked about in terms of the secret being kept from you and not everyone else in your family about you being an adopted person. You came to an understanding that your adoptive mom deserved, I don't know if that's the right word, but you were able to give compassion behind something that was painful. How were you able to extend compassion to her? Yeah, that definitely has has been a process. I think at some point in my life, I was able to reflect back on some of the things that I experienced in the home. I was able to, to look back at even my childhood and the ways that adoption impacted that childhood. And so even though I was officially told at 22, I believe one thing that you'll hear from late discovery adoptees is that we kind of knew, we kind of knew something was a little off Mm -hmm. because things were just not adding up. The stories were not adding up. Some of the questions, you know, we would ask questions about maybe our mom's uh, birth story, you know, what was it like when you were pregnant? What is it? What was it like when you, you know, gave birth to me? What was my first, did I open my eyes? Did it, you know, you never get those answers. Right, right. <laughs> and for me, it, it, it progressed even beyond that. Even though uh, I was in 
a home where my parents were of the of the same race and culturally can say, okay, there's there's uh, some sameness there. There was uh, some physical traits that were not lining up. Mm, okay. <laughs> and so I remember as a child, like six, seven, eight years old, staring into the mirror, trying to find my mother's face in my face, mm. um, watching uh, my parents as they move and you know, there there's certain little quirks and mannerisms and and wondering, you know, it, do I, you know, did I, do I do that? Am I picking that up? Is that the same for me? There's just some very unconscious conscious things that I was doing um, that led me to believe that I kind of knew something was a little off. Mm. Um, I think the other thing is that my parents were a bit overprotective. I think. They, you know, in hindsight, I believe that they probably functioned in a lot of fear that this story would come out in some way that they would have to eventually address some of these issues. I believe it was fear even at the age of 22 when they made the decision to share it with me that kind of drove them to that decision um, because they felt that some of the changes and shifts and, and growing up that I was doing in my life was maybe, maybe I found out on my own. And looking back at all of that, I was able to find places, intentionally find places to understand, not to excuse, because excusing and, and understanding are two different things. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to maybe even put myself in that situation. Mm. Well, maybe if I had this going on, maybe if I had a secret that I had not shared before, uh, not been upfront about, how would I, how would I feel about it? What would I do? What would be some of the reactions and things that I would do? How would it play out? Just over time, I was able to find compassion Mm. because it wasn't instant because remember I was going through that grieving process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think, I think a part of forgiveness is that I release you so that I can heal, but also said that you would have a chance to heal. Right. Yeah, and I, would, I wanted to give them that chance. Right. And when I think of compassion, I, I think of grace. Something about that word, I would want it extended to me as often as possible. And so it it just makes sense that I would try to do the same to extend grace. Yeah, that's what it feels like that you were able to do that. And I know that's not easy to do. And I know that uh, not being an LDA, I can't, I, I really can't speak on it. But I know when I heard you say that, I thought that's very powerful. Like it seems like it would be good for you. You know, like it's not even, you know, they, they say that forgiveness really isn't about the other person. It's really about you being able to to be good, to be okay. I guess feel a sense of relief from whatever it is. And right now I'm thinking of betrayal. When someone betrays another person um, at some point, so it's not, you're not like all bound up in that. You have to be able to, to move on. Yeah. So I, uh... yeah. I think the other thing too, is that 
um, I really felt that my parents had genuine love and care for me. Mm-hmm. I believe that they made their decisions based on misinformation rather than trying to hurt me or put me in a bad situation. Right. I have to remember the times. I have to remember that this was back in the day where, from a professional standpoint, you know, social workers and such, they shared with adoptive parents, hey, this is not a good idea to kind of dwell on this adoption thing. They actually thought that when, especially if you adopted like a baby, an infant, that that adoptive parents, if they were getting a clean slate, that they can start from that point and kind of push away or push aside that first family story. I think the other thing is that, you know, most people judge others based on their actions. We judge ourselves based on our intentions. Mm. I think it's interesting because I was born in 64 and whoever this social worker was that told my mother two very distinct things. And if you knew my mother, she wasn't one to really take guidance that was different from what she thought should happen. Mm -hmm. This social worker made it really clear to her she's been been called Bonnie, the name given to her at birth for two years, continue to call her that as you introduce this new name, you know, Jennifer. And number two, always tell her age-appropriate, this is your new home, I'm your new mother, we're your new family. She must always know that she's an adopted child. And so I do know that there were other schools of thought because I know other, I know LDAs, I know that were born at the, you know, around the same time. And so it's interesting to me, these two schools, different, very different schools of thought and social work were going on simultaneously. Yeah, sure. I think the the thing that comes to mind, uh, which is a a book that's very common in uh, adoptee circles and talking about uh, adoption is uh, the book, uh, The Primal Wound. So that book by Nancy Ferrier was published in the early 90s. So if we put that on a timeline, that idea that there was um, trauma at the very beginning, that attachment separation issues was an issue. I think those, those types of books and research materials is fairly new, was not necessarily welcomed. But I think as time has gone on and the research shows that uh, there's even this thought about uh, the first hour after birth and how important it is for a mother to bond with that child undisturbed. It's fairly recent, Mm -hmm. but it's very now very common, discussed to great length uh, that that's important. So if that's not happening, then that means that there's an impact. Mm -hmm. So what would you say influenced you to become open, honest, and public about your adoption experience? Yeah, sure. Uh, The more I dive into the adoptee community in the more recent years, 
uh, I felt I needed that support, especially going through a reunion process. I needed to find like stories. I also heard the heartbreak. I heard the brokenness of folks that are struggling uh, because uh, they lack the support and maybe affirmation those folks that are close to them. And so it became necessary for me to consider sharing my story more and more as I healed. The more I healed, the more I shared. Mm. Um, Because I realized, again, that it's not just for me. I realized my voice is necessary. There's a lot going on in the adoptee community, a lot of struggles. There's identity formation, which we talked about. There's just a sense of worth. Uh, There's the grief that happens. There's the loss. There's rejection. There's abandonment issues. There's attachment issues. People that struggle just being brought up in an adopted family. It could be natural born siblings. It could be other family members. Then there's the whole search for reunion process. It's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so much. Yeah, there's there's the birth family and that extended relationship. You may have half sisters and half brothers. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and then there's there's depression, there's addiction, there's you know, the extreme of it all. There's yeah. suicide ideation, there's there's all that going on. And the more I I dug into the community, the more and more I started to hear these stories and my heart just broke. It just breaks for people because, you know, I want to see people free. Yeah. I want to see people be able to survive, but to thrive. Mm hmm. Me, too. I absolutely feel that way. And and I do. I'm coming in contact with brokenness even more. I think so than I did even when I was working in law enforcement. Yeah, within the community, there is a lot of brokenness as a result of secrets. And and then, like you say, when you go through search and reunion, that's a whole nother roller coaster. And yeah, it's like you're constantly trying to make sense of like everything. And it's a lot. It's a lot. What would you say has been the best thing about being connected to the community for you personally? It's what I receive every single time I'm, I'm in those settings. It's the nonverbal head nods. Mm, <laughs> yeah. They're, pa- they're pretty powerful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, it's like being at, at, a, at, a, at a backyard barbecue. It's like... A, there's moments you just feel like you're just, you know, you're just in your favorite chair, in your favorite jammies, being able to talk and to share, you know, these intimate things of your life. It gives it gives comfort. It's like that bowl of mac and cheese when you're not really supposed to have it. You know, it just tastes really good. And so, so yeah, it's the head knots. It's the agreement in the room. It's being able to to share the stories, to share the true raw emotion of what you're going through. For me, it was a couple years ago, I was in an adoptee group and uh, it was actually the, the weekend of my birthday. What you can hear sometimes is, 
is adoptees will go through things on their birthdays, you know, wave of emotions. And just being in that room was such, was such comfort, uh, was such a place of healing and just being seen, being heard. That's what community is supposed to be about. It's a, supposed to be that wraparound service for your soul. Mm. Um, and then when you have those little victories along the way and you're able to share, then it's the ripple effect. It's, it's being able to, to, to then share those victories uh, and encourage someone else. So all that happens in community. Yes. I just want to thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. It, uh, it's, it's exactly what I wanted it to be in the sense of kind of tackling some of those spiritual principles. And I think we did that, you know, we, when we talk about compassion and, and stepping outside of ourselves and being like most concerned about being here, our life, having life, having the opportunity. To me, we, we've kind of touched on things that are a little different than most episodes. And I, uh, I just appreciate you having this time to talk about that. Yeah, again, thank you for the opportunity. I believe that, as you know, and, and as uh, some of our listeners will, will know, uh, is that adoptees are the experts in adoption. As we continue to create spaces and platforms to have a voice, we're giving others permission to feel, and that's, that's about relevance. And it's also providing a destination to heal, and that's transformative. And I think that's what we're doing. Yes, I think so too. Thank you, Renicia. Thank you. Renicia sharing a part of her adoption journey to help others is an example of how we in the community care deeply about each other's well-being. She says adoptive voices are rising, and I thoroughly agree with that. What a blessing to hear from adoptees who are the experts of our lived experience. And the universal message of each of us knowing that we have a destiny and purpose is the most important thing to remember. Renicia reminded me of one of my favorite biblical verses from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That is sufficient enough reason to always celebrate life. As a late discovery adoptee, Renicia found a way over time to find compassion for her adoptive parents, withholding from her for 22 years a part of her true identity. It was through her faith in God that she was able to find a way to lean into those spiritual principles of faith, goodness, and honesty for everyone to have the opportunity to heal. It is my belief that if we first extend those fruits of the Spirit to ourselves, then we will be able to shower them upon others. Once we reflect on loved ones possibly wanting the best for us, it's a bit easier to realize that certain decisions made by them weren't coming from an intent to hurt. As Renicia started her journey of healing from a trauma, the next logical step was to help others to do the same. She hears the voices of the brokenhearted and has set the intention of being of service to the adoption community and beyond. Thank you, Renicia, for having this conversation with me 
so that at least one other person can learn more from you about kindness, gentleness, empathy, and the God-like kind of love for oneself and others. If you are an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. Thank you so much for being here, and be sure and follow me on Instagram at Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land.